Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast. Each week, your host, Casey Haston, Director of Recruiting at VIP, will bring you valuable insights from thought leaders, introduce you to incredible companies, and bring you tips for landing your dream job from our team of executive recruiters at VIP. And now, Casey Haston. Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career or candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston. I'm an executive recruiter, director of recruiting with VIP, and your all-around hiring guru. And you know it is my pleasure to bring you the thought leaders and best-selling authors that can help you with your mindset and help you find that best career that you've been looking for. So today on the show, I'd like to welcome Brian Flanagan, CEO of Flanagan Training Group. Flanagan Training Group's mission is to educate, entertain, and encourage professionals toward greater success by enhancing the necessary skills and attitudes needed to achieve more meaningful results for themselves, their families, their clients, and their employees. They offer sales training, presentation skills training, and keynote speaker training. Brian served alongside, and here's a really, really great fact. Brian served alongside Zig Ziglar for 29 years. Could you imagine? sitting at the feet of Zig Ziglar for 29 years. That is incredible. Thank you so much for joining us today, Brian. Thank you. You know, how have you stayed out of my line of sight for so long? We keep missing each other. How is that so, possible? Well, you work for a living. <laughs> so sometimes you're too busy. But yeah, we cross paths. We just haven't spent any time together. I know. And it was so fortunate because I like to really connect the dots on how I meet people because I think networking is huge. Your network is your net yeah. worth, right? And that's... The event that we met at was Network Live. Right. And you were one of the keynote speakers mm -hmm. there. And afterwards, you just happened to come sit by me. And I was like, this is fantastic. I, it, it, I was drawn. It was a magnet. I was drawn to you. <laughs> I think it was because we were kind of like in a theater. Right. And I think it's because I had like the darkest table in the back. <laughs> and you were just like, okay, I'm done talking. Yeah, I was hiding. Yeah. yeah it was, <laughs> it was a great off. place to hide. So tell us a little bit about you, Brian, and your career. I mean, it's been amazing. Well, personally, personal wise, my family consists of two children. I got a grandson now. My wife and I celebrated our fifty-second wedding anniversary no way. on the thirteenth of November. I'm on a one-year contract. <laughs> she re-upped me on the thirteenth. I started my career. My career is very simple. I went from IBM. After fourteen years, I joined the Zig Ziglar Corporation. Mm -hmm. Was there twenty-nine years and had my own company of training, mainly training, some speaking, for the last several years. What was that like? And, oh, you know, and I know I want to make, I don't want, I don't want to make this about Zig, but you know, so well, many of should. us, <laughs> you know, we were raised on automobile university, yep. right? That, yep. And see you at the top. That's where I met Zig. Yep. And so, I mean, what was I, that I was like? Struggling. I was struggling as a salesperson. I got to Dallas from Baton Rouge, where I'm from as a sales instructor at IBM's National Training Center. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't sell. Those who can do, those who can't teach, and those who can't teach, teach sales. And I really had a confidence problem. And one of my buddies said, go out and buy Zig Ziglar's first book, See You at the Top. And one sentence on page 48 changed my life 44 years ago. And that sentence was, you cannot consistently perform at a level that's inconsistent with the way you see yourself. And that was a turning point in my life. That is so good. So I fell in love with Zig and his philosophy, and six years later... I was working for my hero. 
Did you like purposely set an intention to work for him? Oh, How did yes. that happen? Oh, you did? Oh, yes. I love yes. that. Tell me about that. Yeah. I met him in 1980. I had breakfast with him at a National Speakers Association convention in Phoenix in 1981. I begged him for a job. And when I got out of, from California back to Dallas, he said, I'll entertain a meeting. And so I wrote a course on presentation skills, brought it to him, and we field tested it for five months. And five months later, he hired me in March of 84. Wow. So yeah, it was very intentional. That is amazing. It reminds me of a story in Think and Grow Rich, and I'm going to totally mess this up. It was, um, who was the inventor, who was it? And the guy that set out to work with him. Do you remember that story? Edison. Edison. Yeah. And the guy that set out and it became, he really became like the secondhand man to Edison, right? Because he yeah. set that intent. He said, I will work for you. Well, that was my intention. That was a goal. Tr truly, I wanted, I was, I'd gone as far as I could at IBM. They, yeah. They're very nice to me. I started as a delivery boy my second senior year in college. And they hired me and they, for that year I worked, didn't have the best grades, didn't interview on campus, but IBM offered me that that chance and I took advantage of it. And I went to work for Zig in 84, as I say, but I was purposeful. I, I knew that I didn't want to stay with IBM because I liked what Zig was doing and how he was impacting a lot of people, how he impacted me. So it was great. It was a great blessing to have that 29 year period where he was at his peak. Yeah. And, and you were that really that number two person to him, right? I mean, you were on stage with him. Yeah. Yeah. And traveled with him all over the world. Yeah. One of you, you mentioned earlier at the feet of the foot of the master, his wife and I went overseas for six weeks to Australia, New Zealand, and literally sat at the foot of the master and asked him, how did you get this? This and Gene, what was happening when he was doing this? And just I took two notebooks of information on how he came up with this story and why Gene stood by him all this time. <laughs> he was searching for his place. And right. she was she was such a cheerleader for him. It, it, was, it was a blessing. That is so amazing. So yeah. amazing. I, it, I'm a little jealous. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. But. So let's talk about your company that you run today, the Flanagan, Tra Flanagan mm -hmm. Training Group. And right. you offer sales training, presentation skills, keynote speaking. What are some of the biggest challenges that you see sales professionals face today? The biggest challenge I see in some of my clients, most of my clients, are that we have people that don't want to be professional salespeople but have to be professionals who can sell. Mm. So we still have a stigma about selling and my generation calls that stigma. Thank I'm not you. Proud of that. But, <laughs> but I was raised, where, where were you raised? What part of the world did you grow up in? Um, well, I kind of split, like the first formation years were in Louisiana. Yeah, okay, yeah, West Monroe. And then, but I moved here as a young teenager to Texas. Okay. okay. Now, don't ever do that, yeah. people. Don't now, move Casey your kids. Casey and I both love Louisiana. We don't want to live in Louisiana, but we do want to be buried there. That way we can continue to vote. So, so my mom raised me in Baton Rouge the same way okay. your mom raised you. Don't talk to strangers. Right. Don't ask people for money. So we go into sales. <laughs> exactly. So for some of it, it's counterintuitive. It's an unnatural act. But I believe that selling is a process, not a personality. Okay. And people stay away from selling because they don't want to be one of those guys. Yeah. Which is slap them on the back, buy them coffee, tell a few jokes, do a bird call. Selling is a process. And once I understood that, uh, my career took off. So of all the changes, one thing that hasn't changed, it's still a process of understanding the other person's pain, mm. attempting to give him a solution, give her a solution to that, and reach an agreement 
that's a win-win. And I think that's beautiful. And I think that you're right. I think sales have changed so much, not as much as they should or could, I should say, but they have changed. Mm -hmm. You know, the days of just smile and dial, that doesn't really work anymore in a digital world. Well, here's what happens in the digital world. We have to pay attention to that. Yet at the same time, the the new stuff, the new evolution Mm -hmm. sometimes leaves behind the old evolution. And I was taught to honor people. I was taught to help people. And I think we get away from that. I think that we believe technology is going to carry it when, in fact, it, it's my, in my world, business to business is still face to face. Yes. It's still business to business person. And I, and I believe we've lost a little bit of the salespersonship within that technology. I don't disagree with that because then I find myself being just as guilty of this and it goes back to the whole busyness, right? And people will say, hey, let's grab a cup of coffee. Let's grab a lunch. I'm like, let's do a Zoom. And and I think that speaks to exactly what you're talking about. Well, it's made it easier. But what hasn't changed is that we still need to sell ourselves, Mm -hmm. whether it be virtually, whether it be face-to-face, whether it be through marketing, because they buy the man or the woman before they buy the plan. But we have to have a system whereby we understand needs because I think you make more money solving problems than you do selling product. Absolutely. And if we have that in mind, then we can find out their goals. Is my company the best vehicle for you to reach your goals? And that hasn't changed. The first, as a delivery boy with IBM in 1904, 1970, They called me in and said, we want you to be here. We're bringing the people in from the outlying right. areas. You're going to support them. You need to meet them. Be here at 5 o'clock. You'll probably get out of here about 6.30. So they had the sales meeting, the first sales meeting I ever attended. The branch manager at IBM turned over the flip chart. He had three words. Calls plus demonstrations equal sales. That hasn't changed. Okay. Calls plus presentation. Right calls, making the right presentation to the right person adds to success. Yes. So it's not just the marketing side, it's not just the social media side. There still has to be a process of interaction. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. And I think that, you know, some of my best clients, because I'm in sales, sure. basically at the end of the yeah. day, I'm in sales. Um, it's just my product as a person. Mm-hmm. But I think the best relationships that I ever have formed, and I've had people that, you know, on the candidate side that I've placed, two and three times over the last decade. Mm -hmm. And I have clients that come back to me over and over and over again. And it's because I continually have that touch. And it's not because I'm not doing it because I want to be fake or anything like that. I genuinely love my clients and I want to go to lunch with them Mm -hmm. and I want to have time with them. And I think that's what kind of really helps people when they're in sales. That's your competitive edge. That's your USA, your unique sales advantage. Okay. Because you're transparently genuine i am and i'm also very transparently genuine that if i don't like you i'm not taking (laughs) you to lunch and you're not going to be my client because i just i can't it just hurts my heart right so i can't do that so you talk a lot and i think you mentioned it here that cells are counterintuitive and natural for some people but do you believe some people are just born better at selling than others or that it is completely learned skill Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so uh, I, I'll answer this with this. I don't trust natural-born salespeople. Okay. Nor do I trust a natural-born cardiologist. 
I don't want a natural born cardiologist ad living through my chest cavity. Okay. I want somebody that's trained, that studied their profession, that honors their profession, that knows their profession. Okay. I, I wish I had been a natural born salesperson. I would have saved about six years of my career. But I had to learn the skills. I believe that a natural born salesperson, if they hadn't gone through certain steps and learned certain techniques, when that natural born salesperson gets in a slump, it takes them longer to get out. Mm. A person that may be a little hesitant to go in sales, that means they have to learn the techniques, they have to learn the process, they have to learn the skills. I think they're better prepared to serve their customers. I like, you know, and I love how you said you wouldn't want a natural born cardiologist operating on you because it, it really drives the point home of what you're saying that mm -hmm. it's still a profession. It's still a learned skill. Right. And so. But, but some people are more apt or have a propensity to meet people and be gregarious and other people. True. And that's part of sales. But that's not all of sales because everybody you meet as a prospect does not want a gregarious salesperson. Right. They want somebody that's on time, that's structured, that brings proof and evidence. So some personalities that fit sales don't fit all the customers within that sales. You know, I'm reading a great book right now. You've probably read it, Who Not How. Mm -hmm. And I am like, it is like changing my world. And kind of what you were just saying reminded me of that book because I'm the person that can go out and I don't want to have to sell. I don't want to have to close the deal, but I do have to do it. But I have people around me that I can loop in, that I can mm -hmm. like go be best friends with somebody. And then I'm going to introduce you to my business development manager and let them close the deal. But what happens is good, high-performing salespeople have found a way to do just what you said. Yeah. They find a way to prospect. They find a way to position themselves. And it's different based on your situation, what you're selling, the environment, and also your sales personality. So you found a way to do that, and most successful salespeople find that way. Yeah, and it works beautifully. You know, I mean, it's and then it's more of a team effort, mm -hmm. and there's always someone there to help the client. Right. It's not just me, correct? Who may be sitting in a podcast when they need something, <laughs> a nine one one, right? Okay. So I think that works out really well. So I, I know sales for many, especially me, um, and, and others in my field, that it comes with a lot of ups and downs, and you know, good months and bad months. So, what's the secret? to selling consistently? Let's go back to sales slumps. Okay. I believe there are two reasons you get in a sales slump and two ways to get out of the sales slump. And the first reason, and it talks to your point, the first reason you and I get in that little lull, that, that mm -hmm. de depressed state, we go a couple of weeks, maybe a month. The first reason we get in a sales slump is we've lost our basics. Okay. We stop doing what we should do to drive the business, to meet people, to put people in a position to benefit from our products. Um, my, my dad was a baseball player. We, we were raised by a baseball dad who said, play all nine innings. Mm. Don't take an inning off. And what happens is that when we get in that sales slump and we have that lull, it's probably because we stopped doing some of the basics. The second reason is the harder of the two. You've lost your passion. And you need to find a way to rekindle that passion. That may mean you, you call a customer, I'm sorry, young people, you call a customer up on the phone and you say, we helped you with this, how you doing? And they praise you. Or you go by and, and visit on site somebody that you've helped. But you've got to find a way to, to rekindle once you're down. So the two reasons we have that is that number one, we stopped doing the basics. Number two, we lost our passion. But it's okay if your passion changes. 
totally. Okay. Sure. Yeah, and, I'm, and I'll never tell you to ratchet your passion down, but I will tell you that we, the mistake we make is that we don't put our talent ahead of our passion. I get so excited about a new product that I come and tell you and I'm jumping on yeah. and I oversell it. I may have sold it and kept talking and buy it back. <laughs> but, if, but if I'm talented enough to know how to explain the benefits, the values yeah. of what I'm selling and the solution to you, I can still have a high level of passion, but I would rather be talented to know when to use my passion as mm-hmm. opposed to just going out and speaking and, and kind of being an entertainer with my passion. I, again, I don't want you to ratchet your passion down, but I think we need to be skilled in conveying and communicating our passion. Well, the reason I asked that question is because I don't think I'm any less passionate about what I do today, mm-hmm. which is help people find jobs, but the way in which I do it, the way I'm passionate about helping them mm-hmm. has changed. Like for example, you know, when I first started recruiting, I would go cold call the candidates, I'd bring them in, I'd meet with them and I'd do all this. Yeah. And that was the way that I would place candidates mm-hmm. with my clients, right? Today, I have a completely different way of doing it, a different passion, which is I use the podcast to reach out to people. Well, your passion hadn't changed. The, the vehicle delivering it has. Okay. So you had a passion before. True. You found a, a different way of presenting it or to bringing people into that passion. And, and that's, that's a great part of technology. I personally think technology is overrated, but, <laughs> and the reason I did because I sold typewriters and copiers with IBM. I never was a systems guy, but your passion has been there and it comes through, and Zoom is a great way to show that. Mm-hmm. Phone calls, not as much, but certainly video conferencing certainly shows your excitement, your facial expression, all the nonverbal skills that you have because you're pumped. Yeah. Yeah, you, you've got vitality, and I think you still have the... Maybe not as much, but a similar passion, you have a different way of delivering it. That's true. I I do think that's true. So um, as recruiters, we frequently uh, prepare candidates for their interview with the hiring managers that we've engaged with. Mm -hmm. What are some good techniques for job seekers as related to sales to help them sell themselves? When I work with people getting into the job market of sales, perhaps people, young kids graduating, coming Mm -hmm. out of college, Ask the question, what skills are required to be successful in the job I'm interviewing for? Okay. And if they say A, B, and C, then you can turn to the point of your resume that says extracurricular activity. I learned that when I was a president of this association or this organization in college. You also said, I've had a job since I was 18 years old. So if I ask you the criteria, what takes to be successful, and I've got the wherewithal to say, I meet those qualities. The other thing that I learned from Zig, and this is strictly from Zig, people ask me, what, what happens if I don't have experience? I'm 18 years old and I want to put my way through school. How, how do I go ahead and get a job if I don't have experience? You sit down with the interview and they say, what's your experience level? And you can look the person in the eye and say, I've got 18 years of experience of telling the truth. Oh, I got 18 years of experience of showing up, showing up on time and showing up dressed to play. I got 18 years of experience of understanding. If I don't take care of your customers, they're not coming back. And that is a separator to other people that person is interviewing. That is really good because that is a tough question when people ask you if you don't have experience and you don't have that experience in that particular area. So I do have a question for you. This is with your best shot. I'm going to. Um, what is the, you know, a lot of times 
candidates get the question, what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses? And I really don't care about the strengths, but how would you encourage someone to answer the weakness question? I believe, I believe a, a weakness is an overextension of a strength. And if I can explain it that way, one of the things that you may want to say, if you're to our personality style, which is a little bit more outgoing, and a little bit more expressive. Nah. <laughs> really, yeah. You and I talk on elevators right. when we're the only ones on the elevator. Absolutely. The, the extension is I can be so people-focused that sometimes I'm not deadline-focused. Okay. I understand that it's the people business you're in no matter what you're selling. And because of that, and I get excited about that, I've got to really work on and be conscious of the fact that I can't overpromise on deadlines. Mm. So one of the things I always work on is making sure that I, I don't extend myself too much and not deliver on the time frame. And I think that's honest. Yeah. It's real with me because I tend to be optimistic. Sometimes I over overpromise, but I don't mind telling people that because I'm going to be disciplined enough to make sure I don't do that often. There you go. I'm really good, and I used to be bad about that too, but I am really, I've gotten really good. I'm proud of myself for this. Good at setting boundaries. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah. Teach me. Yeah, that, that's okay. important. Yeah, because I mean, it's, you know, in all the different roles that I play, you know, I get a lot of tugs on my time, and I, you know, I could be out at an event every single night of the week, two or three events every single night of the week, and I have to say no. And that was one of the things that my boundary that I said is that I do not do more than one event a week. And what a great trait to learn to say no. Yes. In a positive way. Because you've got to guard your time jealously. There's too many people that are tugging on you. Mm -hmm. And of the 14 things that you do, right. <laughs> you've got more than 14 people tugging on you. Yes. So it's good. Boundaries are strong. It's, it's very good. And like, I've even gotten to the point now where my phone goes off at a certain time at night and I don't pick mm -hmm. it back up until after I finish my morning miracle in the morning when I've had my me time, my self-optimization mm -hmm. time so that I can get steady for the day so that I can good. be the best for those that I serve. Good. So I think that's really important. That was way off on a tangent. So I did Ma want to tell you. Imagine us going off on tangents. Never. I did want to tell you a funny story though about good. the weakness question. Because, you know, and I'm coaching these candidates. And this was an older person that just frankly should have known better. Okay. Um, and I said, so how do you answer the weakness question in your interviews? And he goes, well, I tell him one of my biggest weaknesses, I just can't get to work on time. And I'm like, don't ever say that again and get several alarm clocks. I mean, this was a very high level position. And I'm just like. So now I add, when I'm talking to people, I, I basically give them the formula that you shared on answering the weakness question. You know, take something that's not really a negative, turn it into a positive, and talk about how you're going to fix it. Or, or what you're doing now, the steps, the evidence yes. to say I'm fixing it. Correct. And so now I also add, and do not use a character flaw as a weakness. Because <laughs> yeah. you can't fix that. Yeah. That's not good. Yeah. Don't, don't well, do especially, that. Especially at that person's age. Right. That's like 101, working, get to work on time, you know? Okay, I will go off on a tangent on that because it was just so, it just blew my mind. I was just like, please don't ever say that again. Oh. Well, it was a good direction you gave. Yeah. Don't do that again. Right, and get to work on time. Um, so, okay, so we're talking about those, we talked about the weaknesses. So I do want to go back to the strengths. So mm -hmm. how can we identify our own strengths and then share those? I believe the best way to do that is provide evidence. I, I'm big into evidence these days. Okay. I can feel it. I can talk about it. But how do I prove it? 
when I ask people this, this is one of my favorite sales questions. If I'm going into the process and I think that we have a connection somewhere in the process, I can give a statement and then ask a question. So far, based on what we've talked about, I'm confident we can help you solve this issue. That's the statement. The question is, now, Casey, how do I transfer that confidence to you? Mm. And then they tell you what they need. Now, in my business, I get four things. Can we see you in action? Who else have you worked for in this industry? Put it in writing. And the fourth thing I get, get is let's look at calendars because my inventory is my calendar. Yes. But if the person says, who else have you worked with? They're looking for evidence. So obviously you have third-party references or yes. referenceable accounts. But if the, on the interview, if somebody says, well, prove it to me, your strength is, strength this is, your strength is, well, how do you do that? Well, that's when you come, this is why I did this in college. This is what I did, and this is what I learned from it. Because I've got evidence that I, I, I ran for this position, I won, I, I raised more money than any time in the association's history. That's evidence. So I think that's what they're looking for is more evidence than just words. I think that, I think that is a really good way to put it. And I think that I'm trying to think of a time where I used that, where I used evidence. And I, nothing's coming to mind well, right but, now. But but you have placed people in these positions. Absolutely. So that's evidence. True. We, we had a person in your industry three years ago that was looking for this, was a hard placement, and this is what we did, and we placed this person. That's evidence. This is true. Yeah. And, and you know, and it's we've been very grateful with the podcast because even though we do give, you know, it's really our give back platform. Right. But we've also been able to give back to some of our clients to let them talk about their companies. And I think that's evidence on our behalf too, that exactly. we can get those CEOs in the room with us. Yeah, and, and you're on the team and yeah. we promote you, you promote us. Exactly. And one of the ways to do that is that, come sit with me, Yeah. come, come behind this desk. Exactly. One of the things that I really loved about our first conversation is that I immediately felt like I knew you. I immediately felt like there was a kindred spirit there mm -hmm. and that that rapport was built very quickly. Mm -hmm. So how important is it to build that rapport, especially like if you're going into an interview, if you're going to, you know, and what tips can you give? What, how did you make me feel so comfortable so quickly? When I first met you, because I think you were with Bill, Yep. I asked you questions. So one of the things that I try to be deliberate about, not, mm -hmm. not subconscious, but conscious about, when I leave an interaction, I'm going to ask myself this question. Do I know more about her or does she know more about me? Mm. If I know more about you, then I've succeeded in connecting. But if it's all about me, it, it, it leaves me. I know about me. I don't know about you. So I want to be inquisitive. ABC, always be curious. Yes, that's a good one. Absolutely. So, so that's one way to, to focus off yourself and on to others. And, and that's when I, one, one of the things I teach is when we're prospecting, we don't want to give our purpose first. We want to communicate your benefit before I communicate why I'm calling, yes. why I'm emailing. So the point is to put the benefit here and your purpose after that. Because if you put the benefit first, you're buying more airtime. Maybe they'll read the rest of it. I love that, I love that. 
All right. So very quickly, what else do we need to learn, know about your company, the Flanagan Training Group? My job is to make people dangerous. Uh-oh. <laughs> and we do, we do that through process-based, skill-based training. Okay. We talk a little bit about theory, but you, you don't get paid on theory. You get paid on execution. Yep. So we're, we're big believers that the skill to do comes from doing. So we're trying to teach you in class some techniques and let you have some turn and learns because our motto is learn in class, don't be penalized in cash. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna mix it up now, are you ready? Give me your best shot, okay. Okay, I love how you looked up. It's like you know <laughs> the questions. <laughs> so I'm gonna ask you our VIP questions now. Sure. So if you were chosen to be one of the first colonists on Mars, what three things or people would you take with you? First I, of all, I'm taking my wife because- 52 years, the, hello. Yeah, well, she. Yeah, she hates to be seen in public with me, but <laughs> she also hates to kiss me goodbye. Aww. So I bring Cindy. I can bring an item. Three people or things? Then I bring some oxygen because if I remember correctly, there's a lack of oxygen. And then the third thing I bring, I got it, Matt Damon. Of course. Because he was in the Martian. Of course. And he knows how to fertilize things and grow things and get off the planet. I'll there get you off go. The, yeah. So You're I bring, safe. Yes. Well, of course, Matt Damon, I may have trouble with him because Cindy likes him too. Oh. But those are the three things. <laughs> Cindy, Matt Damon, and some oxygen. That's great. That's great. Okay, so what's one thing you do each morning to set your day up for success? I wish I did this more deliberately and more in a disciplined fashion. There's a there's a devotion that came out in 1927 called My Utmost for His Highest <gasps> by Oswald Chambers. Yes, that and is that's a, a strong, great that's book. strongest five minutes of my morning. Now, I, I was disciplined to do that when I worked out of the home. Mm -hmm. Now it's music. I, okay. I start my day to music. Okay. I started, so I usually do meditations, but I actually um, was listening to a Buddhist chant this morning during my quiet time. Mm -hmm. It was very interesting. It's the first time I've done that. So, and it was random. It was like one of those that just followed another one on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I kind of like this. So yeah. maybe there's more of that in my future. I don't know. Um, okay. So my final question for you, if your life's work was being summarized in a news article, sure. what would the headline be? He fought the good fight. The cross has gained new luster by his life. Pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty good. Fought the good fight. I love it. How do people get in touch with you? Brian Flanagan, Flanagan Training Group. That's www.flanagantraining.com or 214-505-5109. And we will be sure to get that in the show notes. This has been amazing. Thank Good you so much. You made it easy. <laughs> Well, thank you so Except much for, for the Martian question. Oh, come on. And... You're a clever guy. <laughs> so, Brian, I just have one last thing to say sure. to you. You are a VIP. Thank you. And that's a wrap for today. Join us next week here on the We Are VIP podcast. We'd love to know how we can help you be a VIP. To find out more, log on to wearevip.com.